Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 40K Fireside Podcast. I'm David Gaylor, and I'm joined by my good friend, Vic Vijay. Together, we discuss 40K in the meta from our perspective, along with events we've recently been to and those that have got coming up. So come on down to the fireside and listen. All right, we are back. It's been a couple of weeks, I think. I think WTC has set a bit of a cooler on a lot of people in the competitive scene, uh, particularly some of the high-end content creators. You know, we haven't really been able to blow the lid off this thing yet, but lists are live now, so we're going to have a great time chatting. Uh, if you, oh, I should have backtracked there, WTC for the rest of this episode will be referenced a lot. WTC stands for the World Team Championships, so just bear that in mind going forward. That's the topic we're going to be talking about today, and I've got a great guest who is a friend of mine for sure, who's brought me one or two uh, bottles of uh, vodka from the homeland. Uh, we've got Typhus here today, and uh, Typhus, it's great to have you on. Before we start, I'm going to yeah. Um, before we start, I'm going to plug uh, uh, the Into the Matrix uh, show, which you have been diligently doing for how many months now? Have you been doing that? Half a year? I think since last WTC. Since last WTC, so basically a year now. And uh, a lot of that is going to be very useful today because Typhus is very much a team's expert as opposed to myself who I feel like I have dipped my feet in the waters over the last couple of months and I'm going to be thrown into the deep end at WTC uh, this year. So that's great. I just <laughs> hope I can come out the other side with my brain still intact. But Typhus is an expert. Um, I would highly recommend uh, looking at the Into the Matrix stuff. Uh, there is even an episode of uh, team, the Team Ignite team talking about Birmingham pairings. They go super deep in stuff. So if you really want to nerd out and brush up on maybe something you might be using for your local team, then definitely try and do that. And uh, that is a part of the wider StatCheck network, network, quote unquote, uh, now. So StatCheck are great friends of ours as well. So um, if you are looking for additional content, they have a lot of great stuff. Contact Lost also has a, uh, interviews with the top seed one captains. Uh, that's been going on at WTC. I've been listening to those while I've been painting. I particularly enjoyed uh, Team Sweden's um, interview. I don't know if you did. You watch any of those typhus? Did you have any ones that you really yeah, liked? Yeah, obviously. First of all, thank you very much for that very not scuffed intro. <laughs> I I really like it because you basically advertised us way better than I could have done myself. <laughs> I'm very glad. Um, but about the. Uh, what you mentioned, the whole series about captains, I actually felt a nice refreshment when you listen to the Germany mm. captain. Mm. There was like a serious amount of shit talk <laughs> that you there wasn't that much shit talk in other episodes. Mm. So for me, it was quite fun okay. to hear people being so confident and like actually trying to prove that they are the people to look out for. And I... I think that's something that sometimes might be missing in the community. Like people are really nice to each other at the top end. Yes. But now I like controlled shit talk where you actually after the game are cool with each other, etc. But beforehand, I really like that. Yes, I enjoy yes. that. Okay, that's a good, that's, it's a good this is a great topic to get into uh, in a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, that's a great one, actually. I really want to talk about that. Um, before, we, before we go into the meat and potatoes of everything, uh, this episode is going to be talking about the WTC. Now... I appreciate uh, a lot of our viewers might not have heard of the WTC. If you're like me, you might just think, oh, the WTC is this thing where a bunch of people from my country go to Belgium to play against each other in this team format. Format. It's not really relevant to me because I'm a singles player. I go to tournaments and, and I don't play in the team format. Uh, but, you know, I've been 
I missed out last, well, I didn't miss out last year. I decided not to play last year. And this year I'm playing with Team New Zealand. And, you know, it's really, what's really been captivating me about the WTC is actually the amount of uh, the, the social groups that form within WTC, the WTC community, so to speak, right? It's a, it's, WTC really is, in my opinion, and I'm keen to get your take on this, Typhus. It's a, it's a kind of 40K summit. It's the, it's the meeting of the minds. It's a convention where the best players from every nation battle out to, you know, convince other people that they had the best ideas, that they had the best list. And we're really blessed uh, this year because we've just had the launch of 10th edition. So no more than this time is that more relevant. You know, we've got new rules. Every team has been breaking uh, and putting in so much practice, uh, trying to come up with the best lists, you know, traveling from country to country to do meetup tournaments, scrims. So it's a huge amount of um, effort by, by basically all the best and top players in the world. Uh, whether or not they're playing in the WTC team, the best players in each nation are invariably linked to the players actually going to the WTC. They'll be helping them, coming up with lists, bouncing off ideas and stuff. So it's such a unique time. And We've just had all the lists released, uh, I believe, on Saturday, um, or about Saturday, Saturday midnight or something like that. They released them as soon as possible. Friday night. <laughs> Friday night. So for Depending on your time zone, you had it on Friday or yeah. Saturday. So I think what's really cool here is that, you know, throughout 40K and the, and the maturity of an edition, you kind of get a linear improvement, right, of lists. You know, people take, people play a list at this tournament. And then they refine it next tournament and they refine it next tournament. And then usually it's kind of namesake players that are attached to that list. And you, and what happens there is a bit of a storyline there, right? Like the continual improvement of the minutia of the list and the metagame. But what's basically happened is that there's been radio silence for almost a month and players have been keeping things really secret. Uh, you know, my team, Team Ignite, we've got, I think we've got five players all from different WTC teams. So we've got Team Scotland, Team Iceland, Team Belgium, Team New Zealand, uh, and Team England, of course. <laughs> My team, <laughs> our team, Team Ignite, is uh, is caught in a bit of a rock and a hard place. So we've kind of had the a very secretive chat. <laughs> no one's really been saying too much or sharing ideas. And the cool part about that is, is that the culmination of a month's worth of effort has just been released. So you know, if you're looking at a list or if you're thinking uh, WTC is not really for me. Don't tune out. This episode's going to have so much stuff that will translate into your singles player environment. Uh, and, you know, jump on BCP, check out some lists. I think people have even created drop boxes of all the lists and everything like that. And yeah. If I could add, you have people like you had Anthony Vanella mm -hmm. from US team visit you once on, on this podcast or twice, actually. Mm -hmm. And one thing he mentioned when he started playing how he improved was actually looking at those wtc back then etc and like in general european slash australian lists mm -hmm. when he was mainly us player right to actually grab ideas out of his like normal bubble of what is played in his meta mm -hmm. so i think that's something that when where you are listening even though teams tend to skew what you take within the team and we will touch upon it a little bit more soon, I guess. Mm -hmm. It still is relevant to what you play. And I think with this WTC happening essentially one and a half or two months after the edition release, this event will be meta-defining mm -hmm. for like upcoming few months. Absolutely. Because every good player from your nation that 
knows any other good player from your nation that went to WTC will know all the debrief, all the takes from the event. So everything that's going to happen there, you'll hear about it for like a few next months until probably next policy. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, just to forecast, if there's a big super major, you know, a month after WTC, in fact, we've got the LGT, which is the month after WTC, you can bet your bottom dollar that some of those lists that top players will take will have been the successful lists at WTC or they will be based upon yeah. that. So it's hugely exciting. Um, there's there's so much to take in. But um, so today, Typhus and I are going to be focusing on the team side of things. I have a uh, spoiler alert. I don't know which one's going to come up first, but I believe I'm getting up at six in the morning to record with Liam Hackett, uh, the former champion of the singles event, to cover the single side of things as well. So uh, look forward to that one. But for the time being, Typhus, can you kind of, you know, last year has happened and this year is happening. What are some of the biggest stories from last year, like overarching themes of like this team did really well or, you know, this team shocked everyone? What was kind of like just can you can you get the listener interested and kind of invested in some of the narratives per se? So first of all, we already did a whole Enter the Matrix episode that, of, about that. So if you are really willing to get into very start of the WTC back then, ETC, it was 2007 when it all started. So mm -hmm. we've got to deep dive into that. But if we are limiting ourselves to only last year, I think there's like few storylines that we need to look at. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's USA and England. Those countries are powerhouses and you cannot say anything else about them mm -hmm. when it comes to 40K they had like a hubris problem to some extent i didn't know what's go what was going on but they clearly probably made some mistakes within their teams and didn't perform to their fullest potential mm -hmm. so they ended fourth and fifth from what i remember mm -hmm. but they were so like they were within reach of a podium and winning the whole event but they've made some mistakes or they thought they were too good so they didn't prepare enough mm -hmm. and they were they had a rude awakening so i think those both of those teams when you actually listen to how they were preparing for this year they will surely come guns blazing mm -hmm. and not make the same mistakes so those two teams are straight up gunning for winning the whole event we have australia guys who beat us in the final round mm -hmm to win the event and they also won singles and best sports at the same time. So the so Aussies took everything. <laughs> literally everything, not best painter. Not the, that, that one stayed in Europe, but Aussies are coming back to actually grab the trophy before WTC in 2019. I think they come fourth wow. after losing in the final that would decide who would win the event, mm. if I'm not mistaken. So Australia, so, Australia kind of a powerhouse as well. Yeah, so we'll see how they, how they perform. Maybe they were famous for having faction specialists. Mm. That was more of a thing in previous edition where you actually can play a faction for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I think faction specialism applies less in a such turnout of a very new edition mm. as you do not get to... As not every experience you've got from previous edition will translate in any way because your fraction faction can play completely differently of course like look at drukari right they are not the melee faction anymore yep. so this knowledge might not translate so they were famous for taking unorthodox army choices and having faction specialists mm -hmm. we'll see if that first well again mm -hmm. 
and we have two teams that were on podium again last year, which was Germany and Poland. Mm -hmm. These two teams were battling it out for winning the event since 2007. And I think we in combined, we have like six wins out of 12 events that happened or even something like that. Yeah. So those two teams, especially Poland was always somewhere around the top. Germany took a break to actually change their opinion of the general uh, 40k community to be actually nicer guys so they switch that and now with the holy new up whole lot new opinions they try to still win the event with a major change with how they build their team so mm. i think that's only the top five from last year mm. and there's many teams that when they realize that you need to prepare using tts and when they listen to how much work Polish team put in, how much work Aussies put in. I think everyone realized that there's so much to gain in the preparation phase. So I would expect that in this week, because it's essentially a week after the submission before you travel to Belgium, to Mechelen, everyone is playing their butts off <laughs> because there's so many surprising options and these choices that in this case, I can see a lot of teams being potential upsets with how they performed previous years and how good of a player base they have. Mm -hmm. So I can see teams like France performing extremely well and suddenly maybe getting again into top three. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. I, I don't think you can necessarily also say that lesser teams don't have as much of a chance because new addition is also giving some benefit to the teams who have more experience in the team environment, but at the same time, experience that you would have gotten from playing previous edition for a few months is no longer transferable. Yes. So you get a basically leveled field for a month of preparation, except those people who had NDA beforehand, <laughs> uh, those, those get a quick start, but yeah. Interesting. So those are the kind of broad storylines. And, and I, I want to touch on a few things there because there's so many interesting parts here. And, you know, if you told me a year or two years ago, hey, David, you should check out this random guy from Spain, for example, his list is really good. You know, I'd be like, who's this guy from Spain, right? Like, you know, <laughs> whatever, right? Or, you know, this guy from Poland or from France or Australia or something. And the thing that I've learned is that the the you know, you can, and this, this is probably not going to be a shock, obviously, but, you know, the UK and USA are very dominant in the content creator sphere uh, and and tournament scene, I say, with air quotes, um, you know, because we get a lot of attention. We get... Uh, you have ITC events. It's true, right? You you can get those. Like, you can get enough players on a tournament to actually count for ITC. Points right, exactly. If you actually play on ITC. but So it gets followed. Yes, but that's not directly correlated with it national player base skill i don't think and yeah. it's very easy to fall into the trap that you know oh the guys who win the uktc circuit are like the best in the world or something like that like you know for example i've won a lot but i don't consider myself a top 30 player like in the world probably based on just based on skill uh you know and the thing that i've come to learn and appreciate is that some of these lists are they look whack they look crazy right um, you know, Team Spain's list I was looking at today and I'm like, well, you know, there's some hot takes. Uh, and, you know, it's really important to not just dismiss those out of hand because 
the reality is the player skill difference is a lot closer than what you think it is. And primarily that's generated by the fact that these guys prep and play a lot. And they, they might even prep and play harder than you do. And they might beat you in a tournament when they come to play over in your country. So there's so many opportunities to learn from um, from other countries and what they're doing. So this is really where it's like, if you're a singles player and you want to get ahead of the meta or something, deep dive into these lists, look at what Spain's taking, look at what Australia is taking. You know, there's so much innovation coming up from these European countries that don't necessarily get the spotlight as much as um, you know, UK and USA do. So um, that's what I really think is a big takeaway uh, for me, you know, not just dismissing things out of hand and assuming for me, for example, playing at the WTC, I'm just assuming that I'm the small fish in the big pond. <laughs> you know, I'm assuming that, you know, these guys, are, these guys know what's up. So for me, it's a huge learning moment. And I've just been loving soaking in all that information be like, oh, you know, did that or did that? Like, ah, oh, you know, that's really interesting. Yeah. I think it's very important when you, what you touch upon. And as a person living in Poland, I especially feel like it because we have no ITC yeah. events, right? So you do not see us anywhere. I have two ITC events since its inception. Yeah. And that's WTC and one eight-man tournament in Netherlands. And that's all. Yeah. So you do not get such media exposure and like your list do not get seen as much and your name doesn't get seen as much. So there's even maybe like a slight tilt in the whole community towards wanting all those teams that actually are very visible in the media sphere mm -hmm. to actually lose to those lesser teams <laughs> to actually prove that you might not be that the best the team consisting of best players in the world as you might name yourself. Mm because you don't know about those who are really good but they just don't want to push it forward as, as they're like professional living yes so so there's a lot of layers that i think it's really interesting to look at especially if you in teams you cannot only look i think we need to touch upon how the teams work mm -hmm. right because i we still haven't touched upon <laughs> yeah, of course. so in teams format you are playing as at WTC, you have eight players per team. So every single one of those players needs to play different faction. And for Marines, if something is using the Codex Marines, it's the same faction. So you cannot take both Deathwatch and Dark Angels mm -hmm. as on two separate players. So first of all, this pushes what armies can be taken into the team. And furthermore, in an eight-man team, as you can see that nowadays, like GSC and Eldari are boogeyman mm. of the meta. Like, they are just dominating everything. Then only two out of eight players can play those. Mm -hmm. So essentially remaining six players have to source in different armies. And usually it's quite obvious. Like nowadays you would take Necrons, you'd take Castoats, Thousand Sons. Mm -hmm. Maybe you would take Imperial Knights, depending how you feel about them on the terrain pack. Mm -hmm. And then you have six armies. And then suddenly you come to that point during your team composition that you have to choose two remaining armies. And you need to figure out which of those armies can actually play into those six that we just figured out earlier. Mm -hmm. And those armies can perform a role. And you can see a lot of armies that you wouldn't normally take for a singles event, but they fill a role within teams when they play against specific army that actually just makes them work. And it might actually transfer to singles, which I think great example from previous year was Eric Latura's GSC. Mm -hmm. For sure. Because... I think GSC were a sleeper 
and then suddenly Eric performed massively at WTC. Probably just carrying his team on his whole back when you look at the scores. <laughs> uh, so, but then it transferred to them being obnoxiously strong at singles mm. because people started realizing how to play them and unfolding what Eric had in his mind for months. Mm. So, so there are some sort of like there are some common themes, and I think um, you touched on one here, which is that if you're forming an eight-man team, it's it's quite easy to pick who the you know the obvious ones are obvious right you know you do look to yeah. singles in the beginning there and what's dominating so to start off the eight we you know we've kind of got genius little cult and aldari right no brainers you know they're super dominant in the middle right now you know they're performing really well uh and then you're kind of your, your next four are you know there's a general consensus on that but even then there's quite a bit of um quite a bit of dissociation within all the teams or a spectrum there i'm just going to run you through what team new zealand are taking and give me your take on this because this will help us you know sure. benchmark things so to say so just reference i was sort of in charge not in charge in air quotes but i was overseeing the final takeoff on all of our lists and one like that in our team composition so we locked in our teams our lists or our factions about two weeks before the list deadline we sort of said this is roughly what we want to play uh this person might swap for something else but if, other than that we're staying within these ones here so we've got um, Gene Steelacolt and Aldari. Tick, we've done that. We've, we haven't missed the two best ones after that. We've got Death Watch after that. I'm playing. Uh, we've got um, Cal Space Marines. We've got Adeptus Custodes. And then we've got Imperial Knights. And then we've got Cal Space Marines. Oh, I recovered that. And then we've got Tyranids and Necrons. So what are your kind of takes on that? Is that, is that relatively similar to other teams that you've seen taken? I, I think it is. I don't see anything striking there maybe not having thousand suns yes yeah have i yeah so not taking thousand suns seems like a choice mm -hmm. because you essentially have to take other army instead of thousand suns yes. and i think if you look at like data from the event you can see that in the teams that performed very well last year you can see that they dropped imperial lights mm. even though actually according to the meta they are a boogie mm. right mm -hmm. But that's something that whenever you listen to like stat check, when we talk about statistics, you always need to account for the context of a given statistic. Mm. Like you cannot just take them in a vacuum. There's a, a quote from Winston Churchill that I just love. Only statistics I truly believe in are those that I falsified myself. <laughs> and, and I think that's very true. So in case of say Imperialites, when you look at the, the tables, it, you might realize they are not as great on WT tables, which are very dense. Mm -hmm. And they also have very big ruins that are sufficiently high enough to actually hide the knight, mm -hmm. which also means towering rule is way less impactful on a, on a game. Mm -hmm. But overall, when it comes to army choices, you sounded like, like it sounded like a generally good army composition. Mm -hmm. It depends how you plan to do like the whole roles within that exactly which yeah. is a completely different discussion yeah. right so but briefly speaking roles within the team correct me if i'm wrong here you've got attackers defenders uh and kind of pushers so to speak right and then you've got you know some factions that might be specifically designed to hit another faction and together with that too might be called a pin roughly so you might have some armies that try to counter other archetypes but then you've got some armies that just want to score points regardless and maybe take out um you know sandbag against other armies so pushers defenders 
and, and kind of counters or combined to be to be pins, so to speak. So I think for Team New Zealand, we've kind of I've actually we've actually kind of gone, and I think this is a good distinction. If you are creating a team format, you do want to follow this, but it's quite actually quite difficult to do and requires a lot of preparation. And I think this is where the next level of preparation happens is when you can develop a an eight man roster that has pushes, defenders, and counters and pins to what other people are going to take. And I think instead of that, we haven't been able to reach that level of complexity. Instead, we've just gone for eight solid factions that we know are going to be consistently powerful in and of themselves. Uh, and we've got some that maybe can interact, you know, play defenders a bit more, or some that can push a bit more. And then only within those factions have we got, okay, well, we can tick 100 points into this matchup so we can maybe get a little pin or 100 points into that matchup. We can get a little pin. Yeah, I, I've... When I was saying about like those remaining two free factions, I think there's a lot of meta choices, mm. how you expect the meta to unfold mm -hmm. and what are the gaps within your team. Mm -hmm. So you were mentioning that some you want to bring counters, etc. You described that perfectly. That's how the team works. But like for a new edition, especially I'm if you haven't played team tournament, dear listener, I uh, if you are going to your first team event, I suggest that you just take five good armies if it's a five-man tournament yep. and you just go along there's also a great article on stat check that i've written myself i'm very very humble on <laughs> that one but if you really want to go for your first team event and you want don't know how to approach it i've written like a comprehensive article how i do it mm -hmm. whenever i go for a team tournament but when it comes to a team going with like eight strongest armies, especially with a new addition coming in, it's a reasonable choice, mm. especially if you do not have enough time to like figure out what counters won. Mm -hmm. If you found two counters into Eldar, God bless. <laughs> uh, I, I envy you or I do not envy your players that needed to figure out that and played a lot into Eldar. Yes. But there are teams usually take certain armies that you might see as wacky. Mm for a reason so you have like usa with orcs and gray knights which were surely under the radar mm -hmm. as in poland we do not have like chaos space marines and imperial knights but we have tau and imperial yes God. imperial god so, the, so those armies are taken for a reason and you shouldn't discredit them especially if you are talking like about top half of the event i would say mm. sometimes at the bottom half when you have players that you need to like you need to source eighth player from your community sometimes an army choice or two army choices might be forced upon mm -hmm. you but when you are looking at the more experienced seasoned teams they will have a reason behind every list every choice in their list mm. so you might be looking at a certain army like Australia not having Magnus in their thousand mm -hmm. sets, which seems weird. No planes, not having no space marines either, right? Custodies, not no custodies and no marines, mm. but they might have an idea because they figured something out when it comes to table choices, how they want to do their first defenders. Maybe they purposefully knew that all of the teams will side into custodies, right? Mm. So they decided to purposefully drop them because they figured out in the pairing system, then if they couldn't defend because opponent would have two pins, so two counters into them. Yeah. I mean, you could... Well, yeah. No, I was just going to say, this kind of emphasizes the number of layers that sort of happen uh, at, at a team level, right? There is, 
if I think one of the things that I would take away from this in particular is that if you were a newer player, kind of not in the team event, you're not in part of WTC and you're looking at some things, there are a couple of traps here, right? Like, for example, if you see Team England's um, Imperial Guard list, I wouldn't go and say like, okay, that's going to be a great singles list because it functions within the context of a team environment where you are going to be looking at like some four levels of deep direct counter because this turns out that it usually pairs into, I don't know, Marines or something like that, for example, right? So there there are kind of traps when you analyze the WTC data and, and some things like that. But I think for the for the big factions like Aldari, uh, Thousand Suns, GSC, I think Death Watch is a great example as well. Um, you know, it's it's pretty clear that a lot of people converging on the same archetypes or ideas, and that's what they believe and, were the best. And right. I think when we were talking about taking any insights from the games and the results you see, it's also worth mentioning this is a team game. Sometimes we'll, sometimes a certain player will get sacrificed, mm. so other player will get a higher score mm. because we are playing in a differential system. So 20 like you played at uh, at Birmingham. Yeah, at Birmingham. So that means you build armies differently. And sometimes people will just get thrown under the bus, as how we say. It. Mm. And you cannot directly look at the single, like certain player scores where they were the highest scoring player at the team event, because it might be someone from like bottom half of the event that was getting only good pairings. Yes. And it, and the best players might end up that event with less than half of the points because their role was just to get under the bus mm. and someone was happily taking Eldar seven times during the tournament <laughs> and getting those glorious six points against Eldar every game and his team is eternally thankful for his role mm. but you will look at that player say you David right you you got Eldar seven times right yep. Pe people will look at your single score like what happened to that guy mm. wasn't he like good at itc <laughs> like suddenly he went to wtc and stopped being it no that's how team event works mm. like you got elder as a death watch so your elder can crush like say their knights mm -hmm. right and every time net gain from that would be that you scrape some points against elder and your Eldar 20 nil their knights every single time. Yeah. And you, you raise a great point, which is the underpinning of all of all team events too, which is that you might lose the battle to win the war, so to speak, right? You might take a bad pairing initially, and then that allows you to slow roll one of your big pusher factions into a better position later on in the pairings, right? Um, something that I'm yeah. trying to focus on as well, you know, trying to think about when we when do we, you know, place our big factions or something like that as well. And sometimes I've I've found that actually sometimes having your not using your best cards um, right from the get-go is actually much more powerful because you know you're going through many more iterations of pairings where your opponent has to worry oh okay they've still got this they've, uh, they've still got that and when you use everything all the all your best kind of things right from the get-go then your opponent can go okay well we don't have to worry about getting you know 20 owed by their Eldari for example right yeah mm. and tw 20 owed our one of our hitter armies as well mm. because say like you know you have open tables left and you have knights still but you, you then cannot just play elder with knights mm, right yeah so you just need to avoid that matchup whilst with eldari gone you can try to navigate the pairings differently mm. i don't think we should get into like all the intricacies of pairings yes. 
You've done more than enough content for that. So the great typhus is also a great segue man as well. So I wanted to, so we've talked about kind of um, the team structure and how it functions. Could you just give uh, the listener and, and if, if you can describe as a story, what, what actually is the W, you know, where does it get played? Like what is, what environment are you walking into? You know, is this, is this played in the Olympic stadium or is it, you know, the back alley or something? I think calling it Olympic stadium is not a good call, but I think WTC, what you mentioned at the very start of the podcast is actually like Olympics of 40 K. Mm. You can feel like this is a culmination of a whole year of work for many teams that actually, for some of them, the work starts just after the previous mm-hmm. one. So the event itself, it's held currently in a like big hole that mm-hmm. basically could fit, if I'm not mistaken, around 400 tables. Mm-hmm. But we are playing, we are playing essentially in like a jet fighter hangars. Mm-hmm. So with we'll have all the streaming there. We'll have players playing there. We'll have some side events happening. We'll have a lounge where players can watch the streams and not interfere with the tables that are being played. Yes. So this actually feels like a your regular, how you would imagine your regular singles event, if it's well organized with a lot of space between the tables mm-hmm. and with like a dedicated rest areas, dedicated streaming areas. That's something you might know already from your events, right? Mm-hmm. But in that case, you can see that also all the tables are grouped up into those eights and you have like dedicated pairing tables. So when you walk into that building, you actually see like a places where groups of people would actually join together Mm -hmm. because the players from their respective teams would always stay together. And it's not like completely one guy talking to another guy as usual when you go to like your singles Mm -hmm. event, it's actually a team against the team. And you can feel it throughout the whole event. Mm -hmm. Even if somebody's going for a smoke, usually their non-smoking player from their team will go out with him. So it's always more of a, social event yes. to, to a certain extent and there's so many people that you could say due to the media presence or celebrities of the community mm-hmm. that just go there and are a lowly player who is meant to sometimes take the four times Eldari <laughs> and does their role and they need to swallow their top 10 ITC pride <laughs> because that's their role within the team and you can see a lot of those faces of people who just know themselves from online or like from one event or previous year event, just being happy to be there mm. and enjoying the community feeling. Yes. Because everyone there is to play 40k to the highest level and clean. Yes. And WTC has a fantastic reputation. And uh, WTC, if you don't know as well, also has a huge refereeing and judging team behind it as well. They have the most comprehensive FAQ pack uh, to date. And I think always probably have. Uh, they also have fantastic terrain. So I've actually been, oh, as you probably expect, uh, I've been practicing a bit on the WTC terrain and I've really enjoyed it. You know, I feel like they've... The new park is insane. Really good. I think that they've done a stand-up job uh, adapting their terrain to 100%. 10th edition. I think they've done a really good job. The games I play on the WTC terrain feel very balanced. They seem to encourage a lot of different archetypes. You know, they have... Um, even for like big Titanic models, um, you know, there's a lot of playability there. There's, there's anti-towering, but at the same time, towering feels like kind of balanced. 
for me, it feels like Towering kind of has its role in that sense. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed it. So um, shout out to WTC on that one. I feel like they've done a set of job only because I know that there's been a huge amount of effort uh, getting stuff like that. And at the same time, I would like to mention that I remember from internet that WTC FAQ or like WTC terrain packs are very contentious online sometimes. Mm. Like people will complain about it, that it's played, it's being forced in their region. But I think what's worth noting that sometimes there might be a rules as intended rule, mm. not necessarily rules as a written ruling. But I think what's important is actually if you go for like a tournament circuit, you play with consistent rules between tournaments. Mm. And I think even if those rules might be slightly wrong, I'm not judging. It's always great that you know that going from one event to another, you're going to play on the same rule set. Mm -hmm. And suddenly your army will not fare completely differently because somebody decided that certain rule doesn't work here, but it mm. worked at your previous event. So what so you're think... saying, Typhus, is that the entire world should adopt the WTC FAQ and that's how we should play Warhammer 40k? I, I would even say one thing further. <laughs> I think <laughs> GW... <laughs> I think GW should actually take the reins on this. Yes, yeah. I think... And they should I th I, they I, should do everything with BCP, etc. And do like... Like, you've been playing MTG, mm -hmm, right? Yeah. Like, you can do that well. Like, uh, there's... They surely have resources, but that's like completely another rant to go into. <laughs> Plenty more rants to continue. So that's kind of what to expect if you're at the WTC. So I guess if you're also a listener from perhaps a country that isn't represented in... Uh, the current uh, teams is 36 teams, two of which are United Nations teams, I believe to say, which is uh, to say that they are a team of eight random players from, from the mercenary pool. And I think the reason they do that is to make up an even 36 teams because all those teams then get divided into groups of four. So nine pods of four. And what happens, guys, is that each team is seeded based on its performance from the previous year. So, for example, Australia will be seed one. Uh, well, they will be in the first seed. They are first placed in the first seed, but that doesn't matter, uh, and so on and so forth. And what happens is if you're a new team, you've never played at WTC, you're in the bottom seed, rightfully so. And so what happens is in, in each pod, you get a first place, a second place, a third place, and a fourth place seed. And that's what makes up your initial two day i want to say two days of playing is it right typhus yeah that's thursday evening and whole friday yes fantastic because the game itself with parents it's four and a half hours yes it's a marathon event guys uh you get four hours to play your games which is um it's interesting yeah surprisingly not enough <laughs> i can like, imagine you would be surprised I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna be surprised i've had some games go three hours and it's turn two um I, yeah i think i think playing fast is a skill in and of itself in the game uh and so i i think there's a game a little bit like uh chess in that sense so i actually think that uh two hours each player is too long i don't know if your ability to play a game like like for example i don't know if i'm a better player because i can play perfectly on an infinite time scale i don't know if that's necessarily a skill uh i think that's your ability to rule out options over time uh i think playing a game fast is a is a skill for example um it kind of to relate yeah, to chess I, for example what i would like to add here for listeners who don't know there's things that you might not thought about when it comes to actually four hours per game mm -hmm. There's a lot of interaction with your captain. How's your game going with your coaches? You might sometimes need to actually take a break to chill out and figure out how to uh, play 
the next round. There's like, as you're playing for your team, there's way more interactions than you usually have when you play your singles mm. game. And also there's something about sometimes language barriers mm, that's true. that you need to overcome. And it might be a problem because even though every team is supposed to be on a communicative level of English, sometimes it's still like you get someone like, say, from Northern Scotland. <laughs> and what does it matter that somebody knows English when they do not, cannot understand that particular accent? That's right? fair. That's definitely talking about Ennis Wilson. So, you know, I, I feel if someone from, uh, I don't know, Israel can't necessarily understand Ennis Wilson because I can't either. So <laughs> point well taken. So yeah. you can see, obviously, you know, uh, Typhus has got answers for all my critiques already <laughs> that have thought about this stuff. And you're completely right, because I didn't think about the fact that, you know, language barrier might be an issue, right? So that's why that's why there are four hour rounds. You'd be surprised how many of your games will be close to that four hour mark. Yes, I'm going to take up all I, of I, my two hours. <laughs> yeah, because why would exactly? You? Why wouldn't you? And it's kind of it is, you know, the opposite of that is true in that. You get to see you get to see 40k and it's true since right with the expanded time barriers. and there's one more thing when we were talking about the event being a community if you have four hours sometimes you even get the chance like if your opponent is smoker he will use his time to take a smoke but you can just walk out with him and just have a chat about something completely different yeah exactly and you you get to actually know more people like how i ended up on star trek by playing against Anthony. <laughs> so those little things, but I think we are starting to derail. You were saying about the pods. No, I think yes, we of course. should. Yes, so the pods, the pods are four. So uh, basically, you know, as it would be expected to happen, you know, the seed, the first seed plays the fourth seed, and then the second plays the third. But you end up playing every other team in your pod, so to speak, right? So you know, broadly speaking, a team, a seed one team, shouldn't lose to a seed four team, for example, right? So uh, a little bit of a funny thing happened on Saturday night, they pulled the pods. So you know, every team found out where they were going to be playing. And, uh, you know, as it happens to be, who do you think Team New Zealand are playing round one, Typhus? Oh, I know that one, <laughs> your fellow friends who are actually further away from New Zealand, than I think UK is from Belgium, but <laughs> yes, still Australia. How convenient! Yes, yeah. So fly what twenty thousand kilometers? And uh, yeah, it's, I think it's about that. You know, it's about probably. I mean, you know, shout out to my team from Team New Zealand. Uh, you know, it's probably about and Australia, of course, because they travel very far as well. Uh, you know, it's probably about twenty five hours of flying. Uh, in total so it's a long time and uh yeah we've got australia round one and you know initially i think uh you know th that's the initial gut reaction right you sort of think wow you know you fly all this way i wrote that thing in the discord you know wow fly all the way to belgium and then you just play your neighbors it's like great but um you know the reality is is that uh for me personally i think it's a great opportunity to learn from an awesome team like team australia the champions from last year i don't you know i think it would be arrogant or unrealistic to think that you know, seed four team could come in new team and, and even beat the seed one team, right? I know, I know from my experience of playing Warhammer and teams events that, you know, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> um, so, you know, I look at it as a really awesome learning opportunity. And, you know, the Australian crew are a great bunch of guys anyway, right? So you get to get, you know, have a competitive game, you know, make it as competitive as possible. And then and then enjoy Belgian beer. Exactly right. And um, or if you're like me, probably talking to their team and captains about ways to improve for my next round and getting some advice on maybe what they've, you know, maybe what they've seen around Portugal and Belgium's list and vice versa. Right. Because, 
you know, the cool part is that Australia and New Zealand have always been kind of Anzac brothers. You know, we like to hate each other. Although I would just say that the All Blacks just smashed um, Australia on the weekend uh, in Melbourne. I think it was 35-7. So we're still better at rugby, but I will concede that they're definitely better at Warhammer 40k as a team. Um, <laughs> I couldn't help it. But, um, you know, they might be a bit more akin to being like, okay, let me look at your matrix. Like, here's what we analyze for other teams because, you know, we are kind of brothers from that side of the world, I think. Um, so, yeah. you know, hey, you know, seems good to me. <laughs> I would like to add about the pod system for listeners. You might be thinking, oh, pod, is it like groups for football or whatever you're mm. watching? It doesn't necessarily mean that it works like that. It's this year, it's nine pods of four teams, but how it works, you can think about a pod as like just round one of Swiss mm. in general that creates a preceding for the later parts of the event mm. because you usually expect how the pod will go out when it comes to like the best team in that pod you expect it to win three times maybe get one draw mm -hmm. if they just face someone that they that they were surprised mm -hmm. with but it works in a way that in first three rounds you have preset pairings which gives a chance for lesser teams to actually play against those the best teams that they would usually never get to play mm -hmm. but at the same time it also means that you do not get premature very interesting matchups happening on like day one which used to be a thing that you'd get swiss random pairings round yeah. one two top teams and suddenly like it feels kind of weird because one team knows that if they lose that one and they say lost it that they cannot win the event anymore yeah. so i think that one changes a little bit and because like when you look at the event as a whole, you have three games in a pod, then four games of a regular Swiss. Mm -hmm. So it means you have seven rounds. So if you are going by the win, draw, lose system, it means that you have essentially one round too much. Mm -hmm. But when you think about the pod as like an initial round that just gives you a better spread of maybe not the pod one teams, because usually there is a difference between, between pod one and say three and four. Mm -hmm. Sometimes pod two teams win or draw. Mm -hmm against pod one but it actually shuffles like the rest of the teams in a way that they will face each other in more of a fair way yes and the top teams will start just cannibalizing itself from round four onwards mm -hmm. which is also great because you have nine teams in that will probably go out as three wins two wins and a draw mm -hmm. so if you have four rounds that exactly means that the last round should have two win two teams that were either undefeated or with one draw. So if you're if you're if this has gone completely over the top of your head, uh, one thing this is sort of similar to, not exactly, is the Games Workshop style tournament where they will everyone will play, play Swiss in this case, but then they will seed all all the players that have been defeated into different. Um, brackets after that right so it, it doesn't work necessarily like that right like you're you're not like grouped into like smaller groups no 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 don't get it like this like suddenly like a win that a team that won their pot loses next three rounds they can play say against pot uh, like four team from like tier four how you would mm -hmm. say it it can happen like you are not locked within your group there is no elimination games mm -hmm it's still a full on Swiss. So uh, if you lose one game after the pot phase, you are not out of the contention. You can still play for like 
second or third place. There's no strength or schedule necessarily. Oh, okay. No, no win path or something like that in that system. Oh, I see. You are still playing. You're still playing it out. Yes. But what it means, you can say Poland play Australia round four because it might happen. We get a draw mm -hmm. this time. Let's say definitely. And it doesn't mean that both teams actually know that, okay, I cannot play for anything more. Like it makes no sense. We cannot win the event. No, with how many rounds there's left, actually both those teams can still win the whole mm. event. And I think that's the, that's draw. the cool thing about WTC as well is that, you know, teams don't necessarily play to win the event, so to speak, of course, everyone does, but they also, you know, play to do better than they did last time. Right. They, you know, we came 20th last year. Our goal is 15th, right. You, whereas, whereas yeah. as opposed to singles, a lot of players, well, I guess, uh, in my mindset as well, you know, win or it's either win the event or lose, right? Um, so to speak. So, and I think singles, if you ever played any game that's win, draw, lose, and random based, be it like Hearthstone, like Yokul, or yourself mm. with Magic, right? You are bound for some random stuff. Yes. So, singles, I, I say always singles doesn't necessarily say who was the best player at the given mm -hmm. event. It's also about luck of the draw, yep. whether you played your counter, etc. There is a luck involved always. For sure. With teams, I think that luck needs to be really visible in a given round with eight players playing against eight players mm -hmm. to actually swing at that given day. Game, There's a lot more interactions right? there to happen. So it kind of varies. Yeah, like two of your players might be unlucky, but two of them should be lucky. Yeah. Like at that point, you, there is like enough sample, enough bigger enough sample that it might actually even out. So mm -hmm. I think teams actually are a way of playing 40k that's less RNG yes. based when it comes to actually who who's winning the event. Mm -hmm. Because same like in Magic, right? If you win or like draw a game, say round four. In Magic, you are still playing it out before you get into top mm. eight. Yes. You are not knocked out of the contention because you can still go eight and three, or yeah. I don't necessarily remember how many games you had for in the World Series. Three, yeah. No, you're right. Which is, I mean, which is another great part about WTC. The only flip side to that is it's a huge amount of commitment to make these things happen, which is probably why WTC only happens uh, once a year. But there are other big team tournaments as well. There's other big team tournaments and uh, Spain and France and whatnot like that as well, which I'm only just learning about because, you know, well, I guess it's more than distance that separates us, perhaps. <laughs> um, Language barrier. Uh, that's, yeah, that's true. It's a poor excuse, though, isn't it, really? Um, so that's my goal, is maybe to play some of these um, European team tournaments next year as well. But moving on, what I was going to say is, what were your impressions of the pods? Is there any spice that's come out of these pods? Is there any, uh, you know, gossip or something like that? Or do you think anything like what is the? Okay, I guess what is the roughest pod? If you were if you were dropped in to be a random player of any one of these random teams, what is the pod? Do you think that is going to be the most hotly contested, or there could be an upset, or it just has the best total concentration of best players in it? I think. It's it depends on the situation. For me, the funnest one is actually Scotland and Iceland being in the same team yes. with in the same pod with France. Mm -hmm. For those that do not know, Scotland and Iceland were like a pre practice partners for each mm -hmm. other for this one event. They would actually fly over, play IRL eight v eight games. They would share all the information and list decision making. Mm -hmm 
between each other and then they end up in the same pod. Mm. And furthermore, this also means that I wouldn't be surprised if they decide to just join their efforts to win against France, yes. who's their pod, like tier one team within their pod. Mm. So I I wouldn't be surprised if France actually gets out prepared by total of 20 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it can certainly happen. And Iceland and Scotland are competitive teams as well. Uh, obviously, Jokko from our team plays there uh, and Brian Sight plays for Scotland as well. One team that I thought was quite interesting was Spain. I have listened to their uh, Contact Lost interview and it's kind of opened my mind a little bit around how competitive these European countries are. You know, they have a huge team circuit there. They have massive tournaments and, you know, it, a part of me just thinks, look, David, if like if they're able to put on events that big, uh, you know, maybe, you know, perhaps they are just as competitive as like the UK, right? Which Spain is the only team, Team Poland, when I was the captain, when we played scrims, mm-hmm. like the 8v8 TTS scrims, was the only team we had the losing streak. <laughs> like our head to head, we are actually on the worst end of, wow. of it. So they are actually good. Mm. I don't know how good, how well it will translate to the event. Maybe they have some like stress issues. Maybe they mm-hmm. get into their heads. Maybe actual like communication problems might be a thing for them when playing IRL. But they are really yeah. good. French as well. Mm-hmm. French have like the most insane community out of mm-hmm. all. If you listen to their contact logs podcast with whole like Premier League, Second League, Third League with advancing for playing like barrages who gets to the <laughs> upper league and stuff like insane stuff of 8v8 games crazy. that's that's crazy and you do not know it because well you are not french you are not involved in their community like mm. and i guess this is very fascinating because unless it's a major english-speaking country you rarely have access to their metal. yes exactly and uh what i was going to ask is you know, you mentioned Spain and, uh, you know, obviously you're attached to Team Poland, who are one of the most winningest teams of all time. Uh, and then we've got one of the storylines. This is how I kind of see one of the interesting storylines for WTC. You know, we've got England coming off, maybe a performing not as well as they wanted to last year. Uh, you know, and I know the people on that team, they are going to be working twice as hard this year to make sure that doesn't happen. And kind of one of the overarching themes for the community for WTC. If you're not involved, if you're an audience listener, you're not in that. Uh, England has been quite confident in their ability. There has been a, a meme uh, generated uh, with kind of the laughably so, of course, that uh, all in good banter, that uh, anyone but England to win WTC, of course. Um, so I think England are a bit of a, um, uh, maybe there's a bit of a black sheep thing there. and But I think that's only because they have on paper a very stacked ITC, um, you know, ITC celebrity kind of 40k pro player lineup, right? You know, you've got uh, Manny Chima, yeah. Alex Harrison, Josh Roberts, uh, Vic Vijay, Nassim Fushane, uh, and then you've got, I'm going to fucking miss some, um, Mike Porter, Matt, Matt Robinson, Matt and then Chris Kinnear as well. Um, so you've got a star studded lineup, so to speak. But where this gets interesting is like you just talked about, um, Spain and England are in the same pod. So if, you know, yeah. is this is there potential here for a little bit of an upset if Spain had performed so well against Poland in the past? I, I think yes. I think Spain can actually upset any team if they turn out. I think when you drew draw parallels to like other 
esports and stuff, I recall very much uh, back in the day Polish Virtus Pro from <laughs> yeah, Counter Strike. For sure. Yeah, Pasha Biceps. They were. <laughs> Yeah, they were the team that sometimes just showed up and you couldn't do anything. Yeah. Like, they would be very inconsistent, but sometimes when they went there, they were mm-hmm. there. And you and they were like a team that you needed to fear because on, on their day, you couldn't yeah. win. And I think Spain, if they put enough practice, they have skill. Mm. They have insanely good players. I've watched them when I was refereeing Alpine mm-hmm. Cup. And I know they have what it takes depends how well they prepared for England. But I think what's very interesting is that the list submission essentially dropped one and a half weeks before the event. Mm-hmm. So for some teams, it's actually like week before they start traveling. Mm-hmm. So there's not much time to prepare. So having less of an obvious list choices means teams will not be pre- as prepared for what you've Precisely. And- so I, I think Spain versus England, if Spain just now decides Okay, we prepare for England solely and play for one week into English lists Mm -hmm. just to upset that one. It can happen because England, with their point of view, they are there to win. So they need to account for all the other teams that were in top five last year and probably some other teams from like the tier one. Yeah, and I think that's one of the benefits of being a seed two, right? You kind of just like, you can just put the target right on the seed one team's back and just say, okay, we're going to, Assume we can beat seed three and four, and we're just going to look exactly for seed one. Like Scotland and Iceland just deciding this is the time to bring down the French. Yes, team. yeah, exactly. So it's uh, that's really interesting. And you know, in addition to that, Spain have some of the craziest lists I've seen. Um, lists that you know, if I'm being frank, I look at and it's from a singles perspective, and I think these are terrible. Um, which usually means that they're probably really, really nichely designed to be very good in a team format. Uh, very so scary. When you look at WTC and teams that are in the like upper half, there is no bad list. There. Yes, exactly. That, and you yeah, just, exactly. That's the point really, isn't it? You, you just don't know yet. Yes, exactly. You just assume that you're missing something, um, which is uh, scary. I would be worried if I was uh, prepping into that. Uh, the talent there as well are there any sort of other upsets are there sort of some other teams that you would look at and go oh you know i'm curious to see how that would do are there any of all the teams in the wtc are there some that you maybe okay here's let me rephrase out of the seed one teams who are you expecting to perform maybe a bit worse than they did last year and then uh out of the seed four teams who is kind of one of the teams that you're looking at to see okay wonder how they do because they're new teams Okay, so I will, out of seed one, I would wager Australia mm-hmm. might perform worse. Okay. And I'm saying that not because I think their players got worse or anything. It's just my own experience from when I won ETC way mm-hmm. back. That next year, we're a little bit it's, yeah. too lazy about it, like feeling uh it was easy like but then you realize that it might not have been as yeah. easy so i can imagine they might not come as prepared as previous and time. famously australia uh, practiced over COVID for that two-year period uh and only focused on wtc teams as well same with poland right, right? so you know that that element is is not there this year of course as well right? 
Yeah, so I think they might not perform as well, and I do not mean this in of a course. way of throwing shit. I mean, it's not just, performing think... well coming from the first place championships, winning everything is, is not the worst insult, yeah. of course. I don't think they will match that, okay? Like, let me phrase it mm. this way. Um, I think a team that might be a sleeper in the Tier 1 mm. or like Seed 1 is actually Netherlands. Mm. I saw them play. I've played more against them. I've watched them play at that secret 8v8 event mm. we play them multiple times i think they've put enough work to actually maybe upset some of the bigger teams and not lose to them awesome that sounds great uh, so i think and that's uh rude uh from team netherlands right i was dino yeah. and dick yeah, and correct. justin and I, I mean dino is not that great <laughs> <laughs> uh florian as well and um you know funny thing i actually pretty sure i copied when i first got into warhammer pretty sure i copied a Team Netherlands players list from Admic, I think, as well. <laughs> so uh, very, very good as well. Uh, onto the seed fours, is there somewhere that you think, like, oh, you know, I yeah. how that would do? I wouldn't sleep on the United Nations. Mm, yes, because one of the United Nations teams actually has Fred Otto as their captain, if yes. I recall correctly. Yes, you are correct. Yes. So he was previous German captain who ended up, and Germany ended up being top three mm -hmm. last year and losing only to us and drawing against USA to end up on that third yes. spot. So they are, he has the experience, he has the knowledge, I've played it, he's a phenomenal player. Mm -hmm. So I think under his leadership, that team, even though it might not be as cohesive as a team from one nation, mm -hmm. they might still surprise any other team. This and team is, other than that... Uh, this team is actually, so United Nations is air quoted in Slovakia, uh, but being captained by Fred, uh, and Fred, uh, if you, I guess if you're a listener as well, you might not be in kind of the discords we're in. Fred is a, um, in, in a discord that we all kind of uh, hang out and chat in every once in a while as well. But they've got uh, Brett Armitage from Team England. Uh, Junus Neva. I just realized I'm going to, I'm going to try and pronounce. Brett won ETC. Yes, I, ju I just realized I'm going to try and pronounce all these names and I'm making <laughs> asshole. No, no, don't um, do it, man. Yeah, but uh, they have a lot of great players. Um, people that stick out to me that I know as well. Uh, Nico Nicholas, uh, they've got... Um, uh, Malte as well there as well from um, the Hottest Takes Discord as well. Um, and Nicholas from Vanguard Tactics too. So, yeah, it's it, that's always an interesting conundrum, isn't it? You've got, you know, individual talent versus team cohesion is, I think, is maybe that's the one story, I think, from WTC, I think I might take away this year uh, is individual talent versus, uh, versus team cohesion and team preparation, right? What is the balance between the two? You know, which one's more important at the end of the day, right? I think both of them are important, but the team preparation outweighs the individual level, yeah. I think. Uh, any other kind of dark horses that you think, okay, I wonder how, you know, it would be these people might exceed expectations or et cetera, or? I don't, like, when I looked at first, like, UN stack mm -hmm. to me, uh, I think you guys can also perform well. Like, you still have few very good players that might still not be known because i don't get too much new zealand information about their meta etc i don't know either alex <laughs> uh, but yourself alex i think you've got the information like mm. you as a captain like maybe you are you officially i'm not the officially captain, the captain or... but i guess i, I oversee yeah. quite so, a but few you've got the experience right yeah. you like you listen to the materials you got hooked into teams mm -hmm. as well so you actually soaked all the information you could from the 
Ignite team, etc., or what we talked about on the Enter the Matrix. So I think you've got also the background. So I think out of the like tier four teams, you guys can also be quite of an upset. Mm. So yeah. well, that's nice. Very nice of you to say. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes down. I'm I'm actually playing the I'm doing the marathon. So I'm playing the singles event. I'm you know doing the pairings. God bless your soul. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm probably doing most of the pairings. I'm probably doing most of the coaching. You know, I'm. Uh, here is my. Here is my goal. If I can do the singles event, and try and win that, and then I can do the the pairings, and then before every every game that we play, I just talk with my players and say, "What do you think of this matchup?" Blah blah blah. You know, think about this. Do this. This is your role. Coach everyone, and then also play my game. Uh, if I can do that with my brain still intact by the end of the week, I'm going to consider that a win. No matter how we perform, <laughs> yeah, a marathon effort. There we go. That's kind of been the WTC recap. Uh, Typhus, is there any last words you want to wanted to talk about, or let anyone know what's up? Yeah, I think things that you, if you actually enjoyed my commentary and stuff, we will be having a live studio yes. at the event. So it will be myself and Nathan Herring. So the stats that from StatCheck. Yes. And other than that, we'll have Tomek and Joker from the Contact Loss podcast. And as the fifth person, who's also another subject matter expert, it will be Nathan Roberts, awesome. multiple. So also, I think twice ETC champion and veteran of the game as well. So we will have a very knowledgeable studio wow. and you will have four regular stream tables awesome. with specific games being streamed from specific games but we'll be doing a whole studio where we'll be talking about interesting stuff happening from a given round giving you updates on a certain pairing maybe like dissecting a certain pairing mm -hmm. dissecting certain games and doing more of a studio analysis that you could see on like football saturdays in uk yeah, like a panel discussion correctly. Oh. yeah so we'll have panel discussions and we'll be also doing like interviews with players etc the thing that you can see from contact loss mm -hmm. so they will provide that visibility of how the players do how how the event happens so if you are looking for that look at stat check contact loss and wtc socials mm -hmm. we i'll be there since the war master so i'll be covering also the singles on the media so if you have any feedback anything you particularly want me to touch upon I might actually do it at the event because I'll be there walking way more than David <laughs> because I'll be just roaming, traversing the tables. But I'm happy to explain anything. And if you actually liked what I was talking about, I wholeheartedly suggest my series of Enter the Matrix yes. that David plugged earlier. And I, I, I was going to say, I can't. Uh, I talk only about this. Yes, and I, I was about to say, I can't. Um, I can't be more positive about the team environment uh, for Warhammer. I think it's, I think everyone sort of gets converted, so to speak. But uh, it's it's obviously five times more difficult to organize. But it it is really some of forty k's peak enjoyment. I think it brings out the best in in Warhammer. Suddenly playing that awful matchup. Has <laughs> exactly, you're you're always playing for something, which is great. Uh, and then also War Games Live is also streaming. I believe Joe's coming across yep. the stream, which is sick, dude. I'm getting yep. so hyped just uh, thinking about all the streams. And so we'll have Joe with Adam Camilleri awesome, yeah. on one of the streams. We'll have also Target Priority from Germany. Yep. So if you are German speaking, you can watch Target Priority do their stream. 
uh, we'll have French War Game Studio. I hope I don't butcher any of the names. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm speaking from my memory. But they will do, provide content in French. And we'll also have a Spanish coverage. Mm -hmm. But I cannot remember their name for the sake of my there soul. There we go. It's so all good. It's called Spanish. You will have... So, <laughs> so depending which language you are most proficient in, you'll get different games streamed, different teams playing against each other streamed. So you might actually want to have five monitors at that event and unmute different streams depending what's happening because sometimes like at the beginning of the round, nothing is happening in the games. Now studio will be talking. What's, what are the interesting stuff that's going to happen during this round? Maybe then we'll do a debrief after the mm. round, talk what's happening, give updates. And on the other hand, if you are into like a specific game that's happening because say Joe is streaming England versus USA and you have Jack Harpster against say Mike Porter, you might want to see mm. that again on live. And that's something that you might want to follow because even those foreign language streams will cover very interesting games because the level of the players is nothing to be scoffed nothing at. Nothing to be scoffed at. at. Those it's the great meeting of the minds, the summit of 40K, the yeah. Olympics, the WTC World Team Championships. It's going to be my first year. It's definitely not going to be Tyvis's first year. I've had a blast. Thank you, Tyvis. You've uh, I've been learning a lot, which is good. That's always what I try to. I just get guests on. I just ask some questions because it's stuff that I actually need to know. So <laughs> thank you for Tyvis for coming. Thanks on. for having me. <laughs> no problem. Uh, we're going to be doing some coverage around the singles event. I'm going to be getting up roughly in a few hours to talk to Liam Hackett if everything goes to plan uh, with regards to singles event. He's bringing Necrons, I believe, off the top of my head. But obviously, we're playing round one, so it's going to be a good amount of banter on that episode. So once again, Typhus, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And to the viewer, wherever you're listening, good evening, good morning, and good night. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the 40K Fireside Podcast. Quick and I hope you've enjoyed listening and we greatly appreciate any feedback that you can provide after the show.